Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Notorious. The, the brand new 4K uh, restoration of Notorious. That I think is being shown as part of a Cary Grant uh, retrospective season. It's being shown as part of a Cary Grant retrospective season in London uh, at the NFT. But it's also part of the new Criterion release. So it's a joint collaboration. I mean, the restoration is a joint collaboration with Criterion. But um, this is now going around the country. It has been in August, I think. And, and it's so worth seeing on a big screen. Um, I, think, I think some of the scenes are so impactful. Some of the close-ups you know, really have a physical effect on you in a way that they just would not on a television. It's built so much around close-ups. Um, which is not to say there aren't other, you know, other types of shot that are impressive or notable, but so much of it is around close-up and, t- and two shots as well, or, or actually kind of two shots that function as close-ups, yes, because there's the so shot. much of, of people's faces in uh, close proximity. And I think the beauty in those is not in the composition, it's in the lighting and the hairdressing and the makeup and the clothing and the set dressing. And the actors. And the actors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but there is a, like, a great deal of thought, I mean... That moment when Ingrid Bergman has been poisoned and Cary Grant appears to rescue her and they're on her bed, she's on her bed and it's this extreme close-up two-shot of the two of them together and they speak in like this, these hushed tones, right? It's kind of, which is I think a very, I always associate that with the 40s. Mm. You know, 40s cinema has a whispering quality. It's like this kind of intimacy, dreamlike thing. And actually, it's to me, it had this odd effect of, you know, it's almost like the mise-en-scene is evoking or inciting in me a feeling of, you know, when you just wake up and you're just like, kind of, you don't want to get out of bed, right? And it's warm and nice. and mm. Yeah? Well, so, that's certainly what Ingrid Bergman brings to it towards the end because that's sort of her performance style. I know, but I, I think it's also in the way of filming and the lighting and the speaking, mm. you know, in the extreme close-up nature of, of, of her face and her voice and actually how often, you know, C- Cary Grant's face is foregrounded and you see, I mean, he's got eyelashes longer than hers, right? <laughs> and kind of hooded, right? Like, you know, A, it's very beautiful, and like, my God, you know, she is so incredibly beautiful. You know, she's got this extraordinary luminosity, you know, this beautiful skin, yeah, kind of. Um, but but I think, you know, th- that would not have an effect if the camera would have been one inch further away from them. I mean, I, it is also mm-hmm. something that's very much composed and lit yeah. and so on, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's a film about, I mean, in case you haven't seen it. Yes, let's backtrack a bit. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's a spy film, uh, and to an extent a film noir, I'd say. Yes. Um, about uh, two men in love with Ingrid Bergman. It's, uh, she, she is the daughter of a German man who's just been convicted of something in America. Yes. Some, yeah, I, I thought, uh, let me, let me c- kind okay. of just interject here a little bit, because, I mean, I think to me, it's... It's it's a spy story, basically, right? And it's a spy story that has very dark elements. So basically, what happens is um, Ingrid Bergman's father, the character that Ingrid Bergman plays, her father in the film is a Nazi spy. You know, he's indicted, he commits suicide. Set in 1946. Yeah, and she... Uh, um, Which indeed is when it's made and released, so... Yes, 
So, and she's notorious because of her connection to this Nazi. You could also say she's notorious because she has a particle sort of reputation, which is what the men, the American agents, talk about, and one of the reasons that they find her useful Yes, in Brazil. Well, yes, she's a party girl. I mean, this film is almost unthinkable in 1946 America without the casting of Ingrid Bergman, you know, who always had associations of health and, you know, a kind of a, a spiritual virginal quality, maybe, you know, from her nun films. Um, you know, so because what she plays here basically is like a promiscuous woman, you know, who is a drunk, who is enticed or maybe tricked or, you know, manipulated perhaps by Cary Grant into basically becoming a prostitute for the American government in Rio mm -hmm. so that they can unmask this um, Nazi spy ring, you know, that is... Um, well, it's, it, that's, it's very vague what these guys are actually up to. There's something involving uranium, they find out, but it's, it is really left at that. Well, it's not vague in context. I, you know, it's the year after Hiroshima, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, kind of, they, they, they have this... I mean, it's not made explicit and it's not very clear and I'm not sure people knew the science then, right? But the connotations are, you know, that they have materials that you need to, you know, develop this weaponry. That's kind of, I'm sure, yes. what was it in everybody's mind. Um, and so Ingrid's job is to spy on them and inform the American government, you know, of what they're doing. Uh, so, and I think the Nazi aspects are very clear, really. Mm. You know, they're kind of, they're all German. There's a wonderful series of shots of, you know, extreme close-ups again that really distort the faces when um, Ingrid Bergman or Alicia is introduced uh, to all of... What's Claude Rain's character's name in the film? Uh, Sebastian. Alex Sebastian. Uh, to, yeah. So to, to all of Sebastian's friends, right? And, you know, the way they're chosen, they're all, they're all blonde and blue-eyed and, like, really Aryan, except for a little fat guy that gets killed immediately. Hop, hop. Top. Yeah, he actually looks pretty uh -huh. Jewish. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he gets killed for doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, for for just he, he sees a he sees a bottle of champagne that you later learn uh, really, he recognizes the place where the uranium. He's like, what are we drinking uranium? He must be safe. <laughs> uh, and he get, and he gets taken away and killed for that. And um, well, there's something that I wanted to bring up, which is kind of interesting about Claude Rains' character, right? So mm. he's the one who uh, this Alex Sebastian, who was previously in love with Ingrid Bergman years ago, that she they obviously know each other through her father, and then. They use her, the American agents use her to uh, seduce him, basically get mm -hmm. into his life. He, had, he actually ends up uh, marrying her. And he's clearly a, sort of a, a kind of a baddie, but that's not really... It, the, the stuff that he's doing with the Nazis is, is left pretty vague. You know, as you say, it has, it has these clear um, uh, sort of connotations with the uranium of, uh, of nuclear... Or nuclear arm and whatever, but um, but actually those details are just left as they're not necessarily. It's background. almost like a MacGuffin, yeah. Right, exactly. Right, his story is 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 actually this love story, this, yes. this love triangle story between him, Cary Grant, and Ingrid Bergman. And um, I don't know about you, but right at the end of the film, I was left feeling very. I have seen it before, but not since university. Um, I, I was left feeling really sympathetic towards him. Because of what's going to happen to him. Oh, I always feel sympathetic to um, Sebastian because 
I mean, um, and that's the wonderful thing about, well, both Claude Rains, the actor, and uh, also Hitchcock. I mean, it's a character with great depth and nuance, right? You do, in many ways, see how kind and good he is, and he's truly in love with her, which redeems him, mm. you know. Um, but his fate is left completely out of his hands at the end. I mean, when he goes back inside, they call him in. All the, all the context he'd been given, look what happened to, I think Emil, his name was, yeah, the, he's, the guy who killed he's him. Look what happened to him. You know, this is going to happen to me. He's terrified, absolutely terrified, and that's act of locking the door not letting him in actually is very cruel well it's the equivalent of killing him right it is yeah and they smirk in the car yeah you know ingrid bergman certainly does yeah she smiles and and that's that's it actually seems quite cruel of her um i didn't find that i didn't find it that way i mean you know bloody hell the guy's been poisoning her cold-bloodedly like you know for the last week and you know, in this drawn-out way where she's delivering So I didn't That's feel true. any of what you felt in that. But I do think that for most of the film, you feel quite warmly towards him. I mean, and actually that is because he is a man truly in love. And actually you suspect that he loves her more, you know, than Cary Grant, right? You know, who is clearly using her at the beginning. Um, they both get a wonderful introduction, you know, kind of... Uh, um, Ingrid Bergman, after you know uh, Hitchcock does this marvelous establishing thing, where you're seeing the inside of a court ruling, but you're seeing it from outside, and you only see the man's back, right? Well, as the judge gives sentence, and then the sentence is given, and then kind of Ingrid Bergman appears through, like walking through, mm-hmm. you know, all of these photographers and reporters and people wanting asking her questions, and then Cary Grant gets a fantastic uh, intro where you have repeated shots of his back. Well, it's, it's one uh, long take. It's a one of that shot in part, sort of get-together after the trial. Is it? Because I think... It is, yeah. And then the camera ends up close up on his head, and then it, there's a fade. There's a fade to another shot, and the camera comes around his head, and then you see his face for the first time. Well, the thing is, my impression was that you saw the back of his head several times before you saw his face. You see it throughout that shot, really. It's always there in the bottom left of mm. the frame and sometimes your attention is well your attention is drawn to it when Ingrid Bergman goes over to him mm. and you know who brought you the, the other woman says oh he came with me something like that mm. um, so your attention is drawn to him but it is all done in one take I think that okay yeah I didn't I, I didn't notice that um, um, what I did notice is that you see the back of his head Ingrid's talking and then you see the back of his head and, and then of course you're waiting for the reveal which is mm. you know which you know is going to be Cary Grant because actually, just the outline of his head, you know, right? Like, it has a sharpness. Actually, one of the things that I love, there's a tiny little moment in this film where uh, Cary Grant is discussing the case, and it's almost like he's got one foot on the floor, and then another foot with the uh, toes pointing towards the carpet, you know, and then he changes stands, and he's just like, you know, with feet wide apart and just kind of um, standing very still. And just the grace of the movement from, you know, one to the other is just like so I beautiful. I don't recall that shot in particular, oh. but I do recall the shot after she's discovered that he's an American agent and she wakes up in bed and he's stood there leaning against the door frame. Mm. And it's at that Dutch angle yes. from her point of view. Yes, and that's... he's just this this thin rake of pure blackness in his suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's standing in, in that sort of one foot up, one foot down, sort of yeah. crooked, crooked cock's heel, whatever. And he just looks 
incredible, cool, handsome, yes. sexy. He's, yeah, he is incredible. He's incredible looking. Um, but actually, he's got this incredible grace with his body. Uh, and he does kind of very interesting and unusual things with it. It's very arresting. Um, but what you were saying about that shot, I mean, the film is full of, of, of things that you, you know, I just find him gobsmacking, really. What really struck me, actually, was his facial acting more than his physical acting. And I suppose this is partly because, again, the film uh, is so heavily built around his close-ups. But um, th there's so much that he communicates through, like, a narrowing of his eyes, mm. you know, or, uh, or kind of stiffening of his lips or just a, sh a change in where he's looking. He communicates so much in those, these tiny little gestures mm. mean so much. But I think you're always aware of what he's thinking. Well, yes, you know? I mean, he's a great actor. Even when what he's thinking is kind of quite complex, like you know exactly what his character thinks about something that someone has said. Yes. And how you, you kind of, you understand the information he knows, you understand what his point of view on people is, mm. and then what he does with his face, kind of, it, it all just, it adds up perfectly. I really love yes. what he does. Um quite a dark character right like uh, that he plays and actually this is a nice balance it's very interesting because this is a film in which the good guy spy hero is given all shades of grey and blackness and all these dark qualities he's manipulative you know he's kind of sexually kind of um, controlling he puts out you know this woman whom you know he's has followed he's she's fallen in love with him and you suspect he's fallen for her as well and he basically puts her out to be a prostitute you know um, and so he, it's and a he, very dark character yeah well there's in that famous shot where for two and a half minutes they kiss on and off because of the three seconds they were mm. only allowed to kiss for three seconds that's how Hitchcock famously got around it was having them kind of kiss and nuzzle and kiss mm. and nuzzle um, uh, Ingrid Bergman has a line about it's a funny sort of love this and he says how do you mean and she says well you don't love me back Mm. Something like that, and he says, he says something like, uh, "When I stop loving you, I'll tell you," which is not the same as saying "I love you," yes. which he only does right at the end to keep her awake. Yes. and yeah, I think he means it too. But um, but it, it it is a controlling sort of uh, sort of behaviour. Mm. You know that he allows her to think certain things. He allows her to believe certain things. And he do he doesn't commit to what he's doing. Well, and I don't think it's about a self. I don't think it's a self protection thing. Kind of knowing or having an idea of what he'll need to do. I think it is a it is a it is a kind of personal comes across to me at least as a kind of personal controlling thing that he's doing. Well not you know, himself. He is a he is um a, 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 a spy you know he's somebody who organizes, you know, cases and that involve kind of international espionage, right? So he is somebody who um, plays his moves like a master chess player, so that he's always got that kind of um, control, and uh, he doesn't spill, you know, his thoughts. Whereas she does mm -hmm. at all moments, really, right? So, and also that's so she's the one who's meant to be the notorious playgirl, whatever. Yeah, but she comes across as kind of pure in some ways, and that might just be the qualities that Ingrid Bergman brings to it. Whereas, you know, he is the hero and he is the good guy, and yet what he evokes is all kinds of darkness, really. I think she's not a liar. <clears throat> her character isn't a liar. I think she's honest with herself and with other people, uh, with, apart from the fact that she <laughs> is spying on her husband. She marries Scott Rains. <laughs> um, 
but she, she's not kind of she's not sort of instinctively a liar I don't think that's not who she is whereas I think Cary Grant's character comes across more as someone who can live through lies well I'm not sure if I would put it exactly that way because actually we also never see him telling a lie um if I, as far as so far as I can remember, that maybe is a bit harsh, but certainly in in the way he places cards close to his chest, at least. I know what you mean because the thing is, he's a very dark character. You know, he's controlling. He is not kind of expressive of. He's very expressive of his thoughts to the audience, but not to the other characters in the drama, mm-hmm. right? He's very kind of withholding, um, and so you know, and also you see. I mean, also contextually, he's a man who's probably the character has been in a war, it's 1946, probably seen a lot. He is the, you know, he is that kind of character who's like, you know, kind of chasing conspiracies and so on. So you, you know, both the character and the way that Cary Grant plays them and the way that Hitchcock films them is one that has a lot of darkness about him. Mm. Uh, Layers of darkness. (laughs) So, you know, and I think that's a nice contrast with Claude Rains, who you think should have all those layers of darkness, because, you know, after all, he is a Nazi who is, like, you know, blah, 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 you know, and part of, like, this international illegal... very English Nazi. Very English Nazi, yes. (laughs) Um, It does sort of strike you the whole way through that his his mum is is clearly uh, German, German, and he's supposed to be a German Nazi, but he... Yes, I don't think anybody cares. from London. I don't think anybody cares about that. I know. Um, and also, I think people in those days didn't care either because, you know, uh, East Coast Americans, rich Americans, always sounded like that anyway. So, you know, I mean, if you listen to Catherine Hepburn talk or, mm. you know, the, the, yeah, I mean, it's not. Um, also, the sense of Americanness is much more inclusive. So kind of, you know, accent is a thing that tends to bother English people much more than anyone else. <laughs> well, I don't say it bothers me. It's just kind of funny. It's like there's no, there's no effort. No, but they it, didn't to, say to, you, to you it's noticeable and an issue. It wasn't an issue. I just noticed it. Whereas, you know, I think kind of, um, you know, to, to audiences, you know, in Canada, for example, or in, uh, in the US, it just wouldn't be an issue, you know. Kind of Ingrid Bergman talks the way that she talks because she's Ingrid Bergman and she's a big star and nobody cares. And you don't have to justify that she's Swedish or whatever. You don't. Yeah. You know, so um, and you know, Cary Grant speaks the way Cary Grant speaks, and you know, and he plays every American role there is, you know, and but he clearly, you know, doesn't speak like most other Americans. But they didn't let the other they didn't let the other Nazis play with English or American accents. They're all Germans. Yes. At least they have funny accents. Well, they? you know, maybe, um, yeah. Yeah, he's claw- it's just because he claw reigns. You know, he can do claw reigns. Well, he is also a star for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, anyway, um, the film has some incredible shots. Like, you know, the ball sequence is fantastic. Um, the descent into the cellar with the key is fantastic. That when they're poisoning her, the way that that coffee cup is huge takes up three quarters of the screen practically, mm. you know, is fantastic. The, um, ball, the ballroom shot you're thinking of, I think, is the that that fantastic boom shot that starts from up on high on yes. the balcony 
and just descends and descends. It's like that shot in the conversation. Yeah. Descends and descends and descends until it ends up with this extreme close-up on the key in her yes, hand. That's right. Fantastic, audacious. Yes. Sort of shot. Um, it's a, it's amazing. I think the film is amazing. Actually, I came out of it, you know, because I was completely riveted throughout. I mean, all the things that are, you're meant to be tense and anxious about, it work. It all worked on me, kind of, you know, once again. And there were things that I wanted to explore and investigate, you know, afterwards, yeah. So, um, I mean, I had I have not seen Notorious since I was a teenager. Uh, even, you know, as a, as a film person, I just uh, didn't get around to it, really. Um, I, I spent a whole summer going through Hitchcock films. I saw one film a day, and I tried to see all of his films uh, in chronological order. In a day? No, one a day. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, throughout the summer. I think you said one day. No, because, you know, he's, I forget how many he's directed, but it took up almost all the summer. Yeah. You know, um, so, and I was one a day. Uh, and for some reason, maybe I couldn't get a hold of a good enough copy or whatever, I didn't see Notorious as part of that. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know why I didn't, but I didn't. And actually, one of the things that uh, it made me aware of is how many things passed me by as a 16-year-old, right? All of the sexual stuff completely passed me by, you know? I kind of... I mean, I read it as, you know, she's a beautiful woman and, uh, you know, sophisticated, and uh, Cary Grant is, you know, like a very elegant spy, and he gets her to work for him, and then he's heartbroken because, really, you know, she's got to do this, but it's for the government, so it's okay. I get... All of these tensions, but, it, but there's nuances. actually a point. There's actually a point where, fairly explicitly, she says, "I'm sleeping with him." Why well, no? You know, she says that, it twice. Yeah, but I'm just telling you, it yeah, passed yeah. me by. No, no, exactly. Yeah, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah, I forget what her line is. Something, you know. She, he's one of my playmates. He's, he's one, of my playmates. one of my playmates. Well, you know, I think maybe as a 16-year-old, I thought, oh well, they're having a good time together. But <laughs> the, you know, they're sleeping together, and what that means in yeah. the narrative, I think. Pass me by, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and actually, you can understand why, right? That's the that's the way the censorship of the era operated, right? Kind of to say, you know, he's my playmate. It very strongly hints that they're sleeping together, basically, but it doesn't say so, mm. right? And then by not saying so, it could be read in other ways by, yeah. by like a sixteen-year-old. You know? But I think I agree with what you're saying. What you're getting at just before, where you, I think you were suggesting that um, the the love that Cary Grant has for her springs up quite quickly, and you, mm. and you don't quite believe it. Certainly not to the same extent that you believe it of Claude Rains. I, I think that is developed very, very quickly and almost rushed. No, no, I, I wouldn't say that actually, because the thing is that in the first sequence, it's a, you know, I mean, in the first sequence, I did get a sense that he loved her, but you know, in that sense, the way. I mean, she's very clear about it and so on, right? Yeah, but, you know, she's a woman with this reputation, right? So I think he's mistrustful of that. And so, and he's not clear in what he's saying. So, you know, there's like the way that people test each other at the beginning of a relationship or something. But you do get a sense that he's got feelings for her, mm. right? Um, and actually there's more. There's, you know, elements of their conversation in which she, you know, you know that they're both saying and feeling things that the other isn't understanding, but that we as an audience are. So actually you get a feeling that he is jealous, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and so on. So 
so to me it doesn't come as that surprise that you're you're speaking of i see that you know i think to me the, the screenplay is almost a perfect one there are those continuities you know throughout and you can you can see and the unfolding makes sense to me the screenplay uh, i think is the only thing that was thing about the film that was nominated for an oscar right and it didn't win any i'm just going to quickly have a it's by ben heft who is considered one of the great hollywood screenwriters that i do know Give me a second. I'll just look at the uh, 46 Oscars. Claude Rains was nominated as supporting actor. Uh-huh. Um, Notorious was nominated for a screenplay. Ben Hecht, as you say. I read Ben Hecht's biography uh, called Gaily Gaily, I think. Uh, it was made into a film by the same of the same name. He's a very, very interesting character. Um, that was it for, for his Oscar nomination. Go on, Ben Hecht. I think he started off as a journalist in Chicago. Uh, from what I remember, I mean, I, again, it's 30 years since I read this book. But, um, you know, he started off as a journalist uh, in Chicago and then kind of went on to Hollywood, I think with Charlie MacArthur. Uh, they wrote some of the great uh, classic films of, of the era. Um, and then later on, I think he became like this post-war, he became a massive Zionist. Uh, you know, devoted many of his energies, you know, to uh, establishing and supporting uh, the state of Israel, um, and and that's all I can remember really, uh, you know, about about mm. the book. Uh, so, yeah, and I actually I'd be curious to see the movie. There is a, there was a film made of that memoir, so he is kind of like a, um, a legendary character. Let me look him up. Handsome Devil. There was a British boycott of his work. It says. All right, there he you go. Wrote, um, he wrote a lot of screenplays anonymously to get around that. So Underworld, Scarface, the front page, 20th Century, Nothing Sacred, Gunga Din, Wuthering Heights, It's a Wonderful World, Angels Over Broadway. He wrote Spellbound and Notorious. And then uh, Monkey Business for um, Howard Hawks. Those are just some of the highlights. I mean, there's a lot, lot more. So, you know, I mean, one of the um, most successful uh, screenwriters of that, of the classic era, really. There's one shot that um, I picked up on that I don't know if you sort of recognize it at all, or it occurred to you. It did seem to stand out for me, which was, and it wasn't a particularly sort of show-offy shot or anything, but there was just something about it that was seemed like artfully framed and composed. Um, that was after Claude Rains has figured out uh, that he's married to an American agent, and he tells his mother. He wakes up his mother, and he's in her room, and uh, she says, "Yeah, I, I, I knew it, but I didn't see it. You know, but I see it now. It's easy to see now." There's a shot of Claude Rains sitting on that sort of sofa, mm. divan, whatever, and it is—it's only there for a second, but it's—it's um, it's like a Tom Hooper shot, and you know I don't say that meaning it as an insult because when Tom Hooper does it, it's a disgrace. Mm. But it is—it's it, almost planimetric. It's kind of straight on, and the sofa is right at the bottom of the frame across it. There's all this white space of the wall above him. And he's just sat on the in the bottom left-hand corner on the edge mm. of the sofa and basically the edge of the frame. Do you remember this shot? Mm-hmm. And 
he looks just sort of lost. He's looking off screen as well. Yes. He looks sort of lost. And he, he looks says, like a little boy. I thought like a haggard little boy. But yes, I know. But I know what you mean. And he says something like, "I must have been insane. I must have been mad." Yes. Um, and I, I mean that shot, maybe more than any other, kind of conveys to me. That I think the the real depth of feeling of what his character was feeling for, for her, his, for her, for mm. his wife, and. Um, I, it really struck me because there, it does sound like I'm insulting the, the film and the and director and the cinematographer by saying that I think so much of the composition being based on, on close-ups is sort of means that it's not really composition. It's not exactly what I mean, but there is some. there was something that stood out in compositional terms about that shot. There was something so deliberate and, and the, the way that the shot is framed and composed is expressive. In a way that I think many other shots in the film aren't really trying to do that. Oh no, I think every shot in the film is expressive and beautifully composed and kind of extraordinary, really. I mean, you know, I, I mean, there are things that you, we've just seen the film, um, you know, that I find extraordinarily striking. Um, and I, I, I don't quite agree with you about the close ups. I mean, you know, especially the kissing scenes, they are in close-ups and they're very effective. And so, you know, but there's a lot, there's a lot of other types of shots. The whole conversation with the mother and the son in the staircase, for example, right, which is so humorous. I mean, you know, the actress who plays the mother in a way steals the show. I mean, like audience, the audience responded as much to her as anybody mm -hmm. else, really. You know, um, as, as a comic character, the scenes in the dining room, the very first scene when you're introduced you know, it's a room full of people, really. You know, and the camera moves across things. But it's Bergman who's in focus. So, you know, I think there's a full array of types of shots that are on display here. Yeah. You know, I think we're just remembering the, the close-ups because they are so extraordinary in this film. And because, you know, they are also the love scenes. And they're filmed in, in, in great close-up, yeah. yeah? You're very close to to the characters, um, but you that know. That wasn't quite what I was trying to say, but I, I yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't. I, I mean, I'm certainly not trying to forget or, or forgetting that there are so many other types of shots. And actually, one of the things that I think is so interesting about the film is that it is so sort of cinematically inventive or playful and expressive, despite being about such small. Uh, sort of events occurring. Everything you know, there's not. It's not like there's a car chase. There's not an explosion. There's nothing like that. You know, the most dramatic things are close-ups of keys in hands and a, and a bottle falling off a shelf. I know. Really small things that are made cinematically uh, sort of tense. I know. And, and expressive and explosive. I, I, so I think it's that is all. It's really, really wonderful. It's an it? example to filmmakers because yes. you know, in so many films nowadays. You know, you have a million car chases and whatever, and you're just bored out of your mind, right? The like, bottle falling off the shelf got a huge response. I know. Well, actually, not the falling, but the edging towards yes. the edge of the shelf. People gasped. Yes. It was fantastic. I know. <laughs> you know, and unlike the Fast and the Furious, you know, where you're really wrecking kind of, you know, half a city and kind of racing through it, and it can be so dull. Like, I mean, you know, there, it is a, an example to filmmakers because... You know, there is this sense that for the film to be more exciting, you just have to have more, more car chases, more action sequences. And actually, you know, hear something like, you know, 
where is the key, in which hand is the key, mm. creates enormous tension. And mm. what's she going to do? And things like the, um, the, the the bottles of champagne in the ice box, yes. dwindling one by one. Yes. Like that, that's your that's your ticking clock. That's right. You know what's going to. And happen? it's not just that because that then gets transferred. So you you notice that there's that scene where they're offering the champagne in the ballroom. And Ingrid Bergman says, no thanks, yeah. right? Like as if somehow willing, yeah. willing the champagne to, to, to diminish at a slower rate, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, it's, and then again, it, it, and then it becomes, they go to get more champagne. He sees there's no key, but that's just for him, that information. Yes. You know, he passes it off as, oh, maybe we don't need more champagne. Let's just give him a whiskey. Yes. And then in the morning, the key's back. And that's all you need is that close up on the key and the well, okay, and a very loud dramatic sting of music. Mm. But you know, and it's the, and the, the name on the key, the, main, the name of the lock, helps yes. you recognise it. Yes. It's a wonderful yes. little sort of little identifier. It's so um, <laughs> it's so beautifully done, um, and actually, and I love the the elusiveness of the film and a kind of a mystery about it, really. So. On the one hand, everything is clear, right? I mean, you never feel that you're being left out or, you know, there's information that you require but are not given. But on the other hand, everything is elusive rather than... The elusiveness is clear, but you feel that there are repercussions underneath it, right? That kind of that the information that you're given is, yeah, it's just what you need to feel good about it right but the, but if you think there are other layers underneath so for example we mentioned the ending right mm-hmm. so kind of you know what you need to know is that she's being poisoned that Cary Grant kind of saves her that he finds an, an intelligent way of saving her and one that puts clogged drains in danger uh, and basically you suspect that you know as soon as Cary Grant runs off with uh, Ingrid Bergman uh, Claude Rains will be killed right but you're not shown any of it mm. yeah like kind of, yeah, yeah. You see, you you have enough information to suspect that all of these things will happen, but actually, the only thing that you see is that the car doors are closed and they go off, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, and then it ends, right? I think even as the as soon as the motor starts, it ends. They don't e- you don't even see them going in the sunset or anything, right? They do drive off because then because uh. then the camera, I think. Uh, uh, tracks in on the front door as he goes back in. Mm. Then, they're, but they're definitely not there anymore when that happens. They've left him only to go back in the house. Yeah. Mm. But d- did he say at any point, "I'll be killed"? Um, I'm going to quickly just look at. This. I think he does actually, or he says something like it. Please don't leave me here. He says, and then he might have said, "I'll be killed." But I think he says. I'm just going to quickly look up. I've got the. I've got a transcript of the film here. I must sit with her. No room, Sebastian. But you must take me. They're watching me. That's your headache. Please take me, please. That's it. Aha, uh-huh, see? Yeah. So it's not explicit. It's not, it's not, not as explicit as I'll be killed. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so those are things that you bring to it. Um, but also other things, you know, that I think are, are both beautiful and clear, but also mysterious, right? The whole conversation in the bed at the end in the close-ups, right? Kind of, you know, um, he's there for her. He comes back for her. He, he clearly wants to rescue her. They clearly have feelings for each other, you know. But how to make sense... And, and you get the sense of why she's been absent from the meetings, right? 
But actually, there's all other kinds of things going on there, yeah, that are kind of mysterious, right? That, you know, so what is the depth of Cary Grant's feelings for her? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, she's been sleeping in another man's bed for the last X amount of time. I mean, does that not matter, right? Like, you know, there are just things mm-hmm. that are there, but they're not on your mind at that moment, right? That, like, yeah, there's a mystery about them that kind of... Yeah, I must say that in particular didn't occur to me as a mystery at that point. I think there were the, the two elements of that being the two reasons for that being that the reason you're given the reason for him requesting this transfer to Spain. Yes, uh, he, and then he well, you know that he's requested this transfer to Spain because Prescott says, and then he says to her, I think in that close-up uh, scene, um, something like, "I had to do it because because I love you. I mm. had to keep. Yeah, away. I yeah. couldn't keep seeing this happen, so and so and so forth." Um, and then, and and then, I think it's a, basically in that same line of dialogue. I love you. But what I was and referring the, to the clarity of that sort of made that not a mystery to me. Well, but what I was referring to by mystery there was not plot information, you know. But like, well, that is character information. I mean, I think that's what you. you I think you, when you're suggesting that. It, the depth of his love or the amount of love or the truth of his love is in question there. I think that was part of it, but I think there's also something about, you know, that... So, to me, kind of, one of the things about, like, the greatest art is that, you know, on the one hand, it it articulates things for you, it makes things clear, you know, but on the other hand, there's a level in which it's mysterious, yeah, the way that it's making things clear. So, you know, in that scene, like, the luminosity, the warmth... There's an element of sexuality. There's all these things that you can't quite pick, put your finger on, but that they're there, right? Mm. Um, and and that I think is, you know, it's mysterious, right? Like kind of, you know, there there are layers going on in that scene that, you know, you can't quite put your finger on that have to do with everything about the film. And it's not just the plot point. The, you know, the plot points leading up to it, I do, you know, you mm. do understand. And that's... and. You know, if you understand the plot, when the plot is not mysterious, but actually, what what the plot is used to hang all other kinds of things on, and many of those other elements, to me, are kind of, you know, yeah, there are layers there. Hmm. Has anyone been uh, lit like Ingrid Bergman since this film? Well, you know, let's not give all the credit to the lighting. I mean, <laughs> you know, she is beautiful she is she is extraordinarily beautiful but um there is it it, i mean it's when they say they don't make films like this anymore they definitely don't seem to shoot actors and actresses like this anymore yes um certainly they're shot they're both shot with great care um as i said my god you know cary grant's eyelashes like they're to die for really um you know, and, and they're shown to you, like it's not an accident that mm. they're shown, you know. Uh, um, his face is often, the side of his face is often privileged in their, in their two shots. Um, so, 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 yeah, I mean, great care is taken with the presentation of stars. You know, they're all given their entrance. You know, it's like she appears, her first appearance is you know, Ingrid Bergman, but it's Ingrid Bergman as Alicia already, like this notorious woman, right? Uh, and likewise with, with Cary Grant, you know. It's Cary Grant, but, you know, this time, 
uh, uh, he's watching and he's calculating and yeah. Well, he he's introduced as a man of mystery. You don't yeah. know who he is at all. And that's right. And nor, neither do the other people. Yeah. Neither do the characters. Yeah, but then he turns around and he's Cary Grant. So you know <laughs> you 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 like audiences would have known Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman and the 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 problem of their first entrance is well first of all a production value yeah wow here's the star but also the functional kind of uh, problem of dramatization which is you know Cary Grant is now playing Devlin yeah so you have to you're introducing Cary Grant but you're introducing Cary Grant as Devlin as somebody you know who is Cary Grant but also different than the character you saw him play in his previous movie so um and the film does that marvelously but my god yes i mean the way that ingrid bergman is dressed the jewels i mean and to be fair also the cut of Cary grant's kind of suit right in the writing sequence i mean it's magnificent you know it's mm -hmm. like he's so you know his body is put on display without being shown right you know just through the cut of that incredible suit it's you know all of the, all all having to do with the presentation of you know the leading players is is sublime in this film mm. um hitchcock knew the value of stars right like you know i think he barely made a film without one i can't remember a film without one so um i mean you know grace kelly james stewart um you know henry fonda i mean uh julia andrews paul newman like he doris day Right, he worked with stars, and he knew how to use them to, to you know, to best effect, really. Uh, and this is an example of that. I mean, it's just a sublime experience to watch Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. If if the film offered you nothing more, it would be worth seeing it. Just you know, just for those scenes, just for those close-ups with them, really. So, some people consider it uh, Hitchcock's best film. Well, you know, good for them. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great, great, great movie. It's really good. It's um it's a beautiful restoration. And actually one of the things that I admired about it is um it gave full scope to Grey. You know, so it isn't mm -hmm. a very contrasty film. It's like you, you get all the deep kind of um well, all the variations of Grey but also with a kind of a depth to to the image yeah to to the types of grays that you see mm -hmm. it's kind of it's a, it's very very beautiful to see so um thank you very much for listening we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on itunes soundcloud and youtube on social media we're on facebook and twitter the website is eavesdropping at cheerio <laughs>